Amen. All right. Well, we're there in Job chapter 40. And before I get started, I just, is it, is it warm in here? Can we get the air on, guys? If you can help us get the air on, appreciate that very much. Usually I'm always hot, but if you guys, if I see people fanning themselves, and I know that it's hot. All right, well, we're there in Job 40, and uh, we are in the, towards the end, not in the middle, but towards the end of a series on the thought of creation versus evolution. And for those of you uh, that are visiting with us this morning, I want you to know I'm going to be talking about and preaching about uh, did men walk with dinosaurs and about dinosaurs and men coexisting together. And I want you to know that you're coming into the to the end of a series. We've been in this series together uh, for for a while. For for this is our fifth sermon in the series. So if it seems a little random to you, just kind of realize that there is some context going into this. I think it should be interesting for all of us, and we'll try to make some spiritual applications at the end. But like I said, we're in our fifth part of this series, for, uh, Creation versus Evolution. If you remember the first week when we first started back in April, uh, we started with a sermon called The Fool Has Set in His Heart. We talked about the foolishness of atheism and if you walk away from God, what that means, and, and we went through all those different things. Then in the second part, I preached a sermon called Science Falsely So-Called, and we looked at the faulty science of evolution and how true science is something that you can observe and you can uh, predict, you can perform experiments, and none of those things can be done with evolutionary uh, science. Then we talked about, in, in, in the third week, I preached a sermon called The Heavens Declare. We looked at how nature points towards a creator God. And then last week, we asked the question, is the earth billions of years old? And we looked at what the science says about that and what the evidence says about that. We talked about the gap theory and the day-age theory. We looked at all those things. Today, we're, we're answering the question, the title of the sermon is, Did Men Walk with Dinosaurs? And I want you to understand that the evolutionary science teaches something different than what the Bible teaches. The uh, evolutionary science teaches that the earth is 4.5 billion uh, years old. And we talked about that last week, and I don't want to get too much into that. But the same evolutionary science teaches that human beings have only been around for 200,000 years. So the earth has been around for 4.5 billion years. Humans have been around for 200,000 thousand years. I'll read to you a quote from the BBC. Uh, they, they write a lot about this in their nature and history uh, section of their website. They said this, the earth is a little over 4.5 billion years old, homo sapiens only 200,000 years, so humans have been around for a mere 0.004% of the earth's history. Universe Today wrote this, while our ancestors have been around for about six million years, they're talking about the apes that we, you know, the ape-like creatures that we came from or whatever, the modern form of a human only evolved about 200,000 years ago. So they teach that the, the way that a human is today, the, when you look in the mirror, when you look at whoever's sitting next to you, that that form of human has only been around for 200,000 years. Some of you may look at the person sitting next to you and think it's not evolved yet, you know, but that what they're, but, you know, but they, they are saying that humans have evolved to their state now. And we've been around in this state uh, for 200,000 years. Now, they also teach this, that dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. History.com, in an article uh, called Why Did the Dinosaurs Die Out, wrote this, the Cretaceous uh, Tertiary Extinction Event or the KT event, is a name given to the die-off of the dinosaurs and other species that took place some 65.5 million years ago. Scholastic, in their website, Teaching Children, said this, the last dinosaur died approximately 65 million years ago. And here's what I want you to understand. If evolutionary science is true, which I don't believe it is, but if evolutionary science is true and the earth is 4.5 billion years old, man has been around for 200,000 years, but dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago, if all of that is true, then we must come to the conclusion that no human being has ever seen a dinosaur because dinosaurs went extinct uh, millions of years before man ever showed up. In fact, in a website called exploreit.org, uh, they wrote this, of course, no human being has ever seen a living dinosaur. The dinosaurs had been extinct for about 63 million years before humans appeared on the earth. So I want you to understand, evolution 
teaches and the evolutionary sciences teach that no human being has ever seen a dinosaur because they went extinct 65 million years ago uh, or 63 million years ago before uh, humans ever came on the earth. Now, with that said, on the other hand, the Bible teaches, and I don't want to get too far into this because we talked about it last week. You can go back and listen to that sermon if you'd like. But the Bible teaches that the earth is 6,300 years old. According to the Bible, the earth is 6,300 years old. If you believe what the Bible teaches, you will believe that dinosaurs mostly, not completely, but mostly died off during the flood, which was about 4,000, 4,500 years ago. And the Bible teaches that humans, that man, was created, that Adam and Eve were created um, in the beginning. So they were created 6,300 years ago. And if the Bible is true, then we can make the conclusion that humans lived alongside dinosaurs. So here's what you need to understand. Evolution teaches no man has ever seen a living dinosaur. And the Bible teaches if the Bible is true, then man had to have lived alongside dinosaurs and man had to have seen dinosaurs. And here's what you need to understand. We, we get back to that tension where you can't have both. One is right, one is wrong. I mean, one is true and one is false. One is a lie and one is telling the truth. And, and we've got to figure out what that is. Now, I believe that dinosaurs walked alongside of men and that they did not go extinct millions of years ago and they, uh, and they, they were created 6,300 years ago like everything else. But I want to explain to you, and here's kind of the point of the sermon. If humans and dinosaurs lived alongside each other, then we should expect to find some evidence of that. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if humans and, and dinosaurs lived and coexisted together, we would expect to find some evidence of that. And, and some of that evidence would be uh, some of these things. Number one, you would think there'd be some scriptural evidence, the fact that dinosaurs lived alongside men. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible teaches everything that we need to know about all matters of not only faith and practice, but about the universe, about science. So if man lived alongside dinosaurs, you'd think there'd be some scriptural evidence that the Bible would reference the fact that dinosaurs were alive while men were alive. But even, even more than that, or, or further than that, you would think that there'd be some circumstantial evidence. I mean, if dinosaurs lived, if these huge, giant reptiles lived, while men lived, you would think that there would be some circumstantial evidence. And what I mean by that is evidence that wouldn't necessarily just give you a, a closed case, but it would kind of lean towards, it would make you think that maybe dinosaurs lived on the earth. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about things like myths or stories or legends. I mean, there would be some sort of a story that was given down through history of these giant reptiles that lived with men. Not only would there be scriptural evidence, there would be circumstantial evidence, but how about this? There'd probably be some testimonial evidence. Wouldn't there be some eyewitness accounts? And I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm talking about credible, reliable sources that have given us testimony to the fact that they witnessed what we would today call a dinosaur. And lastly, there'd be some physical evidence, physical proof that could not be explained away, physical proof that all of us could look at and say, this must prove that dinosaurs walked with men. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go through these different types of evidence, scriptural evidence, circumstantial evidence, testimonial evidence, physical evidence to talk about, and let's see if we can find evidence to prove or at least to to, to kind of weigh in on the side of the Bible that man did walk with dinosaurs. So we'll start here in Job chapter 40. We're going to look at a lot of different things today, and I kind of need you to just pay attention because we're going to look at a lot. But we'll start in Job 40, and let's start with this idea of scriptural evidence. It, does the Bible mention dinosaurs? Are dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? Now, before we get started with that, I've got to, uh, I've got to, you've got to understand a couple of things, okay? Number one, the word dinosaur was invented in 1842 by a paleontologist named Sir Richard Owen. And here's what I want you to understand. The word dinosaur had never been used before 1842. He's the man that coined that word. So when we're talking about dinosaurs, you've got to understand that anything before 1842 is not going to use the word dinosaur. So we can't use the word, you can't say, well, dinosaurs aren't mentioned in the Bible. The word dinosaur is not mentioned in the Bible, that's true, but that's because no one before 1842 ever used the word dinosaur. And uh, the, so, so you've got to understand that. So you can't search the scriptures and find, you know, the word dinosaur because that word was not invented. Our King James Bible was translated in 1611, all right? So you're not going to find the word dinosaur 
in, in the Bible. But let's look at what the Bible teaches here. Let's go look at Job chapter 40. We're going to come back and look at the first part of the chapter towards the end of the sermon. But let's just jump in right at verse number 15. And I want you to notice Job 40 and verse 15. The Bible says this, Behold now, behemoth. See that word behemoth? The word behemoth is not necessarily uh, 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 an English word. It's really just a transliteration from the Hebrew word, and what it means is, it basically means a large beast. That's what the word behemoth means. And this is God speaking to Job, and notice what he says. He says, behold. The word behold means look at. So God is literally talking to Job, and he's saying, hey, I want you to look at. He said, behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee. He, now notice how the behemoth is Explain. God begins to explain to us this behemoth. He says, he eateth grass as an ox. So here's what we know about behemoth. He eats grass, okay? Like an ox, like cattle eat grass, all right? Look at verse 16. Lo now, notice this description. His strength is in his loins and his force in the navel of his belly. So we're told the strength of this animal comes from his loins and his belly. So we're looking for an animal that not only eats grass, but that it has a large belly. It has its strength coming from its belly or from its loins. Look at verse 17. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. Now we begin to see some indication to the size of this animal. Notice in verse 17 it says, He moveth his tail like a cedar. Now, a cedar tree is a huge thick tree. And here we're told that this behemoth, not only does he eat grass like an ox, not only does he have a huge belly and his strength comes from his loins and his belly, but he has a huge tail that he can move around. And when it it, it moves around, it, it looks like it's moving around a huge cedar tree. Now, before we go any further, I want, I want you to understand this because at Verity Baptist Church, we believe the King James Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, perfect word of God. And today, though, you've got a lot of translations of the Bible that are not new versions of Scripture. If anything, they're just a perversion of Scripture. And I, want, and I want you to notice what these new modern Bible versions say about this behemoth. I'm going to just give you a couple of examples. I've got here with me the New International Version. Now, if you've got a New International Version uh, today... We're not mad at you, but we want to show you there are some major problems uh, with this Bible. In fact, there's some major doctrinal problems with this Bible, but today we're just going to focus on the dinosaur aspect of it. Of it. But I want you to notice, if, if, you, if you open your Bible in the book of, uh, if you open this book, excuse me, the New International Version, in Leviticus chapter 40, and you read in the same verses that we're reading there, in verse number 15, it says this, Look at behemoth. Now, use the word behemoth. But right next to, and if you've got an NIV, you ought, to look at, you ought to look at yours. Right next to the word behemoth, you have a little letter A. And what that's called is a reference. They are referring you to look down at a, at a note that they've put into the scripture. This is not like a commentary. This is by the men that have translated it, where they're trying to explain to you how they translated the Bible and what they mean. So next to the word behemoth, they wrote a little A. So if you go down to the bottom where you've got the, 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 the note, Notes from the translators. Next to letter A, it says this, verse 15, possibly the hippopotamus or the elephant. Now you've got these translators of the New International Version telling you that the behemoth is an animal that eateth grass like as an ox. Okay, you know, maybe an elephant. That he has his strength in his loins and his force is the navel of his belly. Maybe a hippopotamus. Maybe an elephant. His tail is like a cedar? I mean, I don't know if you ever looked at the backside of an elephant or the backside of a hippopotamus, but it's not, I don't think we'd describe it as a cedar tree, all right? Maybe like a thin rope or a flap of skin. But these 
Bible translators give you a note that say, possibly the hippopotamus or the elephant. And, and, to, and to add insult to injury, I want you to notice, because the way that we know it's not a hippopotamus or an elephant is because of verse 17, he moveth his tail like a cedar. Well, they decided to add a note for that too. So in your NIV, in verse 17, it says his tail, and it's got a letter B next to it. So when you look down at the letter B, it says this, verse 17, possibly trunk. So here's what they're saying. When the Bible says the tail, they obviously realize that a tail is ridiculous to call a tail the, a cedar tree. So they said, this might actually be a reference to the trunk, referring to the trunk of an elephant. Now, I don't know how smart you've got to be to get on a committee to translate the word of God, but I think any child could be able to tell you the difference between the backside of an elephant and the front side of an elephant and realize that when the Bible is talking about the tail, it's not talking about the trunk which is found on the face of an elephant. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous, and that's pretty stupid. And here's the thing. You say, well, why do they say that in the NIV? Here's why they say that. Because they don't want to get mocked. Because they want to basically conform themselves to this world. And this world believes that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago, and man never saw a, a, a dinosaur. So when the Bible describes an animal that, can o- that only fits what we would consider a dinosaur today, they've got to try to explain it away by calling it a hippopotamus or calling it an elephant. And, and when you say, well, what about the tail being like the great cedar tree? And they say, oh, no, that's actually the trunk. I mean, I mean God is so, you know, inept at writing scripture that he couldn't even figure out what the backside of an elephant looks like, according to these people. And, and, and look, that ought to be enough reason right there to throw one of these things away. You know, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous to say that the behemoth is a hippopotamus or an elephant and that, the, that because the behemoth has a tail that's like a cedar and to call it, a, but, but then it's even worse to say, well, when, it's talk, when it says the tail, it's actually talking about, uh, it's actually talking about the trunk of of the animal. And look, look, these new Bibles, they'll tell you, they'll say, oh, we translated them. We don't have an agenda. We translated them because we want to just update. We just want to update the English. We just want to make it easier to understand. Well, number one, that's a lie. These books have attacked the deity of Christ. They attacked the virgin birth. They attack all sorts of major doctrines. They, the NIV removes 16 complete verses from the New Testament. It attacks the doctrine of hell. It attacks all sorts of things. But here's the question I have for these people. If you really want to just update the English, and I'm not saying that they should have done this, but I would have way more respect for them if they would have done this than what they actually did. Why not just change the word behemoth to dinosaur? If you're updating the language. If you just want to make it easy to understand, why don't you just say, look at the dinosaur? Or look at the Brachiosaurus or whatever it is that you want to call it. You know, but here's the thing. They're not interested in upholding the Word of God. They're interested in explaining away the Word of God. And then you've got the New American Standard Version. What do they do? The same thing. They put a note when it says, Behold, Behemoth. They've got a little two next to that. You go down to the two, and it says, Or the Hippopotamus. Which is, you know, again, just... I don't understand if you've never looked at a hippopotamus in your life. Here I've got the New World Translation, which is the one that the Mormons use. And next to their Bible, they wrote behemoth. They got a little asterisk. You go down to that note and it says possibly the hippopotamus. So again, these Bibles are just, you know, aligning themselves up with the evolutionary doctrine of the Bible, trying to explain away, well, no one's obviously ever seen a dinosaur, so this animal has to be a hippopotamus or has to be an elephant. Well, I think in verse 17 when it says he moved his tail like a cedar, God was referring to the tail. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. Look at verse 18. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. If you ever go to one of these natural history museums and you see these dinosaur bones that they've dug up, these, these bones are massive. They're, they're huge and they're, they're thick and they're strong. Obviously, you've got these huge animals. They need a strong skeletal structure to keep them up. And here the Bible says, his bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like the bars of iron. So it, it compares the bones of this animal to brass and to iron. Look at verse 19. He is the chief of the ways of God. What does that mean? He's saying this is the chief animal. When he says the chief animal, he's saying this is probably the largest animal. 
This is the, the biggest animal. This is the one, the, the crowning point of God's creation. He is the chief of the ways of God. He hath made, he that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fence. And shady trees cover him with their shadow, with willows of the brook uh, compass him about. Notice verse 23. Behold, he drinketh up a river. Again, the reference is, this is a large animal. When he's thirsty, he drinks up the whole river and hasted not. He trusted that he can uh, draw up Jordan into his mouth. Now, I'm not saying that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. It says that he trusted. This animal is so large, he thinks he could draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh his eyes, his nose, uh, his nose, excuse me, pierceth through snares. So here's the thing. When you read that description, does it sound like it's a, uh, uh, an elephant or a hippopotamus to you? I, I think anybody who's just not, you know, has some sort of intelligence would agree that this is not a hippopotamus. I've got a, a, a picture here, uh, and I know you can't see them from far away, but for those of you that sit up close, you get the reward of being able to see my picture here. I've got a picture here of what they call a brachiosaurus. And if you look at this brachiosaurus, you know what you see? You see a huge belly, and a huge midsection. You see these strong, thick legs that probably have some strong bones attached to them. And then you see this big tail that kind of reminds you of a cedar tree. You know, this animal, we're told, was, uh, would eat grass. And look, you, you can't walk away from just realizing that what's being described in Job chapter 40 and what God is telling Job, hey, look over there. Behold, the behemoth is this animal. Which, by the way, these dinosaurs weren't even found. The bones of dinosaurs weren't even found until the mid-1800s when the word dinosaur was, was used. No, no one had, you know, had seen, back when, when we're reading this before 1800s, the people had not seen this animal or the bones of this animal, yet Job is describing it for us perfectly. And again, this is not, look, doesn't that make more sense than an elephant with a little tiny rope? you know, as a tail, or, or a hippopotamus with like a flap of skin as, as a tail. Go, go to Job 41. You're there in Job chapter 40. Go to Job 41. Job 41. In Job 41, there's another animal that's, that's described for us. So in Job chapter 40, we have the behemoth, which we have to ask the question, is the behemoth a brachiosaurus? You know, just like the kids in school love to learn about it. By the way, kids love dinosaurs. Love learning about dinosaurs, seeing pictures about dinosaurs, you know, and all of that. Was the behemoth a brachiosaurus? Was it a dinosaur? I think the answer is yes. So if the question is, does the Bible talk about dinosaurs? No, in the sense that it does not use the word dinosaur. But when you see the description, you see a dinosaur. Now, some of you may think, well, that's ridiculous. That's, that's stupid. If I lost you there, then I'm going to lose you even more in chapter 41. Because in chapter 41, we have another animal that's described for us, and it's called Leviathan. Look at Job 41 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? Now, when he's saying draw out Leviathan with a hook, he's talking, he's insinuating to the fact that this is a water animal because he's talking about like fishing him out of the sea. Can, canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with, with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? And again, the idea there, he's talking about, look at how, big and mighty and wonderful this huge leviathan is can you control it this is what god is trying to explain to job are you able to control look at verse three will he make supplications unto thee are you going to get leviathan to ask you permission to ask you questions to make a supplication will he speak soft words unto thee will he make a covenant with thee can you make a covenant with leviathan will thou take him for a servant forever are you going to be able to capture him and take him and, and domesticate him like a dog or like a horse, wilt thou play with him as with a bird, or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Are you going to take it home for your daughter? You're going to take it home for your wife? Shall the companions make a banquet for him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Are you going to be able to catch him and cut him up and sell him for me uh, in, 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 in the stores? Look at verse 7. Canst thou fill his skin with barbed iron or his head with fish spears? He's saying, look, can you take weapons? 
and, and kill this animal. Now, let's go back to our Bible perversions. What do they say about Leviathan? Here's what they say about Leviathan. Possibly the crocodile. Here's what they say about, that's the New World Translation. Here's what they say about Leviathan in the New American Standard Version. Leviathan, the crocodile. What do they say about Leviathan in uh, New International Version? They say Leviathan, possibly the crocodile. Now, I don't know about you, but don't humans kill crocodiles? Don't they eat them and, like, make boots out of them or whatever? You know, don't they do? Because here God is describing an animal. He says, you can't. You can't control this animal. You're not going to be able to, to, to get a hold of this animal. Look at verse 8. Lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle. Uh, do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that there stir him up. Is that true about crocodiles? Who then is able to stand before him? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his, notice these words, comely proportion. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, this is a big animal. This is a huge animal. You can't control him. Who can discover the face of his garments? Or who can come to him with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride. Shut up together up with close seal. He's saying his, 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 his scales are so close together, you can't even pull them apart. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. And here's where it goes crazy. Look at verse 18. By his niecing. You see that word niecing? You say, what's, what's, the, what's that word niecing mean? You see how it's similar to the word sneezing? All right, sneezing is when you blow out of your nose snot. All right, friends, sorry if you use uh, language like that. Kneezing is basically blowing out of your nose without snot. You know how... Like horses and stuff will often, I don't know what they call that, puff or whatever, just kind of blow out their nostrils. Here the Bible is telling us that this Leviathan will do that by his niecings. But when he does it, notice what happens. A light doth shine. When he, with his nostrils, you see light. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Look at verse 19. Out of his mouth go burning lamps. And sparks of fire leap out. Please understand what please understand what the Bible is telling us here. This animal breathes fire. This animal breathes. Look at verse twenty. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke, as of, as of as out of seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Now I've never seen a crocodile <laughs> sneeze and you know just catch something on fire. Okay, so I, I think we lost the crocodile a while ago when it says in verse 21 that the, a flame goeth out of his mouth. In his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm of, as a stone, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether mill, uh, millstone. When he raiseth up himself... The mighty are afraid. By reason of breaking, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habergate. You can take a spear and probably, you know, pierce an, a, a crocodile. You can take a sword and probably cut a crocodile. The Bible's telling us here, none of these weapons work against this animal. Look at verse 27. He esteemeth iron as straw. When he looks at iron, he just treats it like it's straw. And brass as rotten wood. The arrows cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned uh, with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugh, uh, laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh the path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Uh, upon earth there is not like, there is not his like who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. This is not the only place that the Bible describes this Leviathan for us. Go, go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 74. You're there in Job. Just one book over is the book of Psalms, Psalm 74. And let me read for you from bbcearth.com. 
And I, I want to just read to you, I'm not telling you that the live, uh, Leviathan is this animal that I'm about to read to you, but I just want to make a comparison, all right? The plesiosaurus is often mistakenly referred to as a dinosaur. They make a big deal about the fact that a dinosaur are animals on the earth, and when they're in the sea, they're no longer dinosaurs, whatever. I'm fine with that. When in fact, it is a prehistoric marine reptile that lived at the same time as the dinosaurs. It had a long neck, four paddled-like flippers, and a tail. Plesiosaurus would have roamed the vast seas of the Jurassic. Some say Plesiosaurus looked like the legendary Loch Ness Monster. And I've got a picture here for those of you that have good eyesight to see what they've uh, drawn, what a Plesiosaurus would look like. It says they, they, that they uh, look like the legendary Loch Ness Monster. Plesiosaurus looks something like a swimming Brachiosaurus, a big animal with a long neck, Tiny skull, a barrel-shaped chest, both of these unusual animals probably use their long necks to reach otherwise inaccessible food items. And here's what I'm, I'm not saying that Leviathan is a plesiosaurus. Here's what I'm saying. If there are animals that we know of, we've dug up the bone structures and the fossils of animals that look like this, then why is it so ridiculous to think that there could be a large reptile-looking animal in the ocean or in the seas, and you say, yeah, but you lost us when it talked about this animal breathing fire, okay? But here's the thing. Uh, several weeks ago when we, were in, when we were in the sermon, I think the sermon was the heavens do declare. Remember we talked about the bombardier beetle? Remember the bombardier beetle has the ability to join chemicals in its body and create and shoot out an explosion? We have things like the electric eel, that produce electricity. I mean, there are animals today, you know, uh, that spit out acid, that spit out explosions, that spit out fire, that create electricity. So is it really that absurd to think that maybe there's an animal that went extinct that used to be able to do the same thing? And you say, well, we've never heard of these, of these animals, you know. Why has no one ever talked about them? Why does the Bible, why is it only that the Bible talks about them? Are you there in Psalm 74? Here's what I want you to understand, okay? Just stay, stay with me. Some of you may think, like, that's ridiculous, but just stay with me. Remember, the word dinosaur was invented in 1842. So before 1842, any references to this type of animal would not be using the word dinosaur. The Bible uses the word Levi- Leviathan. But there's another word that basically describes this same animal, and we can read about it here in the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm 74 and verse 13, and then we'll look at Psalm 104 as well. Notice Psalm 74, verse 13. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the, notice this word, dragons in the water. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces, and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. By the way, he's talking about God, that God did this to this dragon, Leviathan. Go to Psalm 104 and verse 25. Psalm 104 and verse 25. Psalm 104 and verse 25 says this, So is the great and wide sea. Psalm 104, verse 25. So is, the, uh, so is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping and numerable, both small and great beasts. And by the way, did you know that we've not, we, we don't even know the extent of all the different types of creatures that are in the ocean? I mean, we, we've not even explored the entire, everything that could be found in the oceans today. And that's what the Bible is saying here in Psalm 104, verse 27, look at verse 26. There, there go the ships, there is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. Go to Isaiah 27, Isaiah 27, look at verse 1. Isaiah 27, verse 1, you're there in Psalms, you're going to go past the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, into the book of Isaiah. And here's what I'm trying to explain to you, okay? You say, oh, you, you believe in dragons? You, here's what's funny. For years and years and years and years and years, the Bible, and, 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 and I'll read some quotes to you in a second, but almost every culture that has ever existed talked about dragons that were these huge reptiles, these giant reptiles that lived on earth. But people said, oh, they're mythical creatures. They, they never existed. Then in the 1800s, they began to dig up bones of these huge reptiles. And instead of saying, these are the dragons that the Bible's talking about, the Bible is true, they said, these are dinosaurs, and they disproved the Bible? Do you see how these people have an agenda? 
doesn't matter what you show them. It doesn't matter what proof you come up with. It's always going to be the, the scientific, the evolution scientific view is always the Bible is wrong. It's like, okay, the Bible talks about these giant, huge lizards. And then you, and you find bones of giant, huge lizards. And you can't make the connection. Say, well, they're not called dinosaurs. The word dinosaur did not exist. They just called them dragons. And I think in those days, they didn't use the words brachiosaurus, plesiosaurus, whatever. They just saw some big, huge lizard in a cave somewhere. They saw some big, huge lizard in, or serpent in the sea and they, you know, that was breathing fire, and they just called them dragons. Isaiah 27, look at verse 1. Isaiah 27, verse 1. And that day the Lord with a sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan. The piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now, when we started the sermon, I talked about, the, about, about this. If dinosaurs lived with man, we would think that we would find some scriptural evidence about that fact. I think we found it. Amen. I think we could say the Bible talks about dinosaurs living alongside with man. And, and by the way, go, go back to Job chapter 40 just real quickly. Job chapter 40, I meant to... I meant to point this out, and I didn't. Job chapter 40, look at verse 15. And you can just keep your place there in Job 40, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it. Job chapter 40 and verse 15, got Psalms, you got Job, Psalms, Proverbs. So right before the book of Psalms, you got Job. Job 40, 15. Notice what God says. Behold, look at, behold now, behemoth. Notice what God says. Which I made with thee. So according to the Bible, was Behemoth created billions of years or millions of years ago and then man evolved? No, they were created on the same day. They were created in the same week. They were, because God made man and all the land animals on the same day in creation week. So animals... Lit, so, but it's funny, you say, well, God, why would you even mention that? Why would you say, which I made with thee? I think God mentions that because he knew the stupidity of mankind, how they would try to say there is no God and believe in evolution. And he says, look, Behemoth was made with the Job. They were made on the same day that mankind was made. Now, we said, if man walked with animals, you think we'd find some scriptural evidence. But we also said this, if man walked with animals, you think we'd find some circumstantial evidence. I mean, if dragons really existed, and when I say dragons, just think dinosaur. If these huge, giant reptiles existed, you'd think there'd be some sort of circumstantial evidence in, in the world that would say, yes, they did. Let me read for you from a website called History Evidence of Dinosaurs and Men. And I just want to read this, this excerpt to you because I think the way they say it, I like how they say it, they'll say it better than I can. They wrote this, and obviously these are Christians, creationists. They said this, Dragon history is nearly universal throughout the world's ancient cultures. Where did this global concept originate? How did societies throughout the world describe, record, draw, etch, sew, and carve such creatures in such uniformity if they did not witness these creatures during their lifetimes? Here's what, here's what they're saying. If there was one culture in the world, one place in the world, you know, in China, they talked about dragons, and, but they were the only ones. No one else ever talked about dragons. No other cultures, no other places. Then we could say, it's just a myth. Someone made that up. No big deal. But here's the things about dragons. You find dragon legends in every culture, in every continent, all spread out over all the time that man has been alive. I mean, the Native American Indians talked about these large animals and dragons and things like that. You've got them in Europe. You've got them in Asia. You've got them in Africa. So here's the thing. If these are made-up creatures, how did all these cultures spanning, you know, all of time and, all, and everywhere in the world, how did they just all come up with the same mythical animal? And, of course, some of these legends have been embellished. You know, and they make them see, but, but the, the general characteristics of it looks like a reptile, it's huge, they're, they're, all, they're all there. It's basically a dragon. So isn't that kind of circumstantial, the fact, you know, maybe if the Africans in, in Africa are talking about it, and the Chinese are talking about it, and, and, they've got, and they're talking about them in South America, and they're talking about them in North America, and they've got all these myths and all these legends, maybe they're there because there was actually an animal that looked like that. And people have just been talking about it. It's interesting because uh, the, 
Chinese history, I'll keep reading for you. Chinese history, the longest continuous secular history of any nation, is full of dragons. Ancient Chinese books even tell of a family that kept dragons and raised babies. It is said that in those days, Chinese kings used dragons for pulling royal chariots on special occasions. The Chinese calendar pictures 12 different animals. 11 of those animals are normal living animals that we see today. You got the rat, the ox, the tiger, the rabbit, the snake, the horse, the goat, the monkey, the rooster, the dog, the pig. Nothing mythical about any of them, but then they also have the dragon. Why would they just, they just got to throw in one mythical creature when all the other animals are just normal animals? No, I think whoever made up the Chinese calendar just saw the dragon as a normal animal that just existed alongside the rat and the ox and the tiger and the rabbit and the snake and the horse and the goat, the monkey and the rooster, the dog, the pig. And you, and you have, I'm like, it's like a Dr. Seuss book. You, you have, and here's the thing, you have these legends all throughout. Let me just give you a couple of examples. The Epic of Gilgamesh is a Sumerian story dating back to 3000 BC or more. Tells of a hero named Gilgamesh who when he went into a remote forest to cut down cedar trees, uh, encounters a huge vicious dragon, which he slew, cutting off its head as a, as a trophy. Beowulf, Beowulf. I think it's the, the, the oldest English-written poem or story or whatever. Very important to English history. Beowulf was a legendary heroic dragon slayer of the Geats who lived from 495 to 583 AD. His exploits include killing several sea reptiles and a terrestrial dragon called a Grendel. Beowulf ultimately lost his life at the age of 88 from wounds he received while fighting a flying reptile that, he may, have been, that may have been a giant uh, parasaur. So here, here's what I'm saying. And, and there's so many legends, and, and I don't want to waste my whole time doing that. But here's what I'm saying. If, if man lived with dinosaurs, you'd think, you would think we would find some, we'd find some biblical evidence. Oh, wait, we did. And then you would think we'd find some circumstantial evidence. Just, you know, if you've got these huge, giant reptiles walking around, you think someone would have told their kids about it. And their kids would have told their kids, and their kids would have told their kids, and their kids would have told their kids. And you would think, you would think we would find some sort of a myth or a legend or a story that's being told about these giant reptiles. And if they're true, if they really lived with man, we would find them in all cultures and all continents spanning all, all time. Oh, wait a minute, we did. Well, they're not called dinosaurs. The, the word dinosaur was invented is a modern word. They're called dragons. But how about some eyewitness accounts? I mean, don't you think? Go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 19. So you think we'd find some scriptural evidence? You think we'd find some circumstantial evidence? How about this? Some testimonial evidence? Don't you think we'd find some eyewitness accounts from credible and reliable sources that would, that would tell us about these animals? Are you there in Deuteronomy 19? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 19, look at verse number 15. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth, notice what the Bible says, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. The Bible says if you've got two or three witnesses, you can establish the matter. So here's the question I have. Are there, is there any reliable eyewitness testimony, some credible eyewitness testimony to the fact that these dinosaurs lived alongside men and maybe they were called something different like a dragon? Well, let me read for you some testimonies. There's a Greek historian named Herodotus. Let me read for you from encyclopedia.com about Herodotus. Herodotus lived in the 5th century B.C. He was a Greek historian. I want you to notice who Herodotus is. He was a Greek historian known as the father of history. The fact that we, you know, in in secular world, not obviously the Bible, in the secular world, the fact that we have people who study history, write history, account for history, all goes back to this man. Herodotus, the father of history, 
He was the first historian to collect his material systematically and test their accuracy to a certain extent and arrange them in a well-constructed and vivid narrative. Okay, This man goes down in history for being the first one who not only systematically organizes materials into a well-constructed and very vivid narrative, he's also well-known for testing the accuracy of those materials. He's known as the father of history. Okay, we're not talking about some guy in the backwoods who's talking about seeing Sasquatch, all right? We're not talking about some hillbilly who's talking about Bigfoot. This guy's known. He goes down in history for being the guy who invented the idea of collecting materials systematically and testing them for accuracy. And this guy wrote this. This is what he, said, what he wrote. I'm going to read to you his words. There is a place in Arabia situated very near the city of Buto to which I went on hearing of some winged serpents. And when I arrived there, he says, I saw, eyewitness account, I saw bones and spines of serpents in such quantities as it would be impossible to describe. The form of the serpent is like that of the water snake, but he, was, uh, he has wings without feathers and as like as possible to the wings of a bat. So here we've got the father of history giving us his eyewitness account saying, I saw winged serpents. I, they looked like water snakes, but they had wings like a bat. So we got one witness. Would you say he's a credible and reliable witness? I'm not talking about by, by Christian standards. I'm talking about the world standards. I think the world would say, everything else this guy said, they took as, as true and accurate. Everything else this guy said, they said, is true. It, 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 he wouldn't be making it up. So, but, but this part, they'll say, oh, you know. He's just kind of telling us a story. The guy's known for the accuracy of the things he says. And he says, I saw winged serpents. They had wings like bats. They looked like water snakes. Let me give you another testimony. We have Alexander the Great, the king of Greece, uh, the, the, the king of ancient Greece. I'm sure you've heard of him. Wikipedia.org says this about Alexander the Great. Alexander III of Macedon, commonly known as Alexander the Great, was a king of the ancient Greek kingdom of Macedon and a member of the Argid dynasty. In 330 BC, after Alexander the Great invaded India, he brought back reports of seeing a great hissing dragon living in a cave which people were worshiping as gods. Now look, everything else Alexander the Great did, we take for fact. Everything else he wrote and said, we take for fact. He comes back saying, oh, you know, when I was in India, I also saw this uh, great hissing dragon that was living in a cave. People were worshiping it like a, like a god. And people say, ah, oh, well, that's ridiculous. He's just pulling our leg. Look, wouldn't you say Alexander the Great, by the world standard, is a credible and reliable source? How about Aristotle? I mean, if you go to a college that's teaching you the stupidity of evolution, they're probably also teaching you the philosophy of Aristotle. And I'm, not, and I'm not defending Aristotle. I think his philosophy is not godly and is not Christian either. But by the world standards, Aristotle is a very credible and reliable source. History.com says about Aristotle, the Greek philosopher Aristotle made a significant and lasting contribution to nearly every aspect of human knowledge, from logic to biology to ethics to aesthetics. And here's what Aristotle wrote. The eagle and the dragon are enemies, for the eagle feeds on serpents. The gladness in shallow water is often destroyed by the dragon serpent. Everything else this guy said is true. You've got entire degrees where they're studying the books that this man wrote. Everything else he said is true, credible, reliable. Well, let me tell you something. He also believed that there were dragon serpents. He said he saw them. Alexander the Great said he saw them. Herodotus said he saw them. How about another reliable source that we look at and say this guy knows what he's talking about? A man by the name of Marco Polo. LifeScience.com says Marco Polo was one of the first and most famous Europeans to travel to Asia during the Middle Ages. He traveled farther than any of his predecessors during his 24-year journey along the Silk Road, reaching China and Mongolia, where he became the confidant of the Kublai Khan. Marco Polo wrote these words, or, or uh, wrote down this, those words. He said this, Leaving the city of Yaki and traveling 10 days in a westerly direction, you reach the providence of Karazan, which is also the name of the chief city. Here are seen 
huge serpent, ten serpents, ten paces in length, that's about 30 feet, and ten spans, that's about eight feet, gird of the body. At the forepart near the head, they have two short legs, having three claws like, a, like those of a tiger with eyes larger than a fourpenny loaf and very glaring. The jaws are wide enough to swallow a man. The teeth are large and sharp, and their whole appearance is so formidable that neither man nor any kind of animal can approach them without terror. Others are met with a smaller size, being eight, six, or five paces long. And again, everything else that Marco Polo writes, everything else that he tells about, all his adventures and all those things, it's not just a game you play in a pool, okay? This is a guy that lived. You know, everything else we say, that's credible, it's reliable, this guy knows what he's talking about, and then he gives us an account of these huge serpents that he sees in his travels. And we say, ah, no. He's just telling a story. He's just pulling our leg. Look, we're not talking about Hicks in the backwoods. We're talking about Aristotle. We're talking about Alexander the Great. Great. We're talking about Marco Polo. How about this? Noah Webster. You ever heard of the Webster's Dictionary? The, the famous American Christian educator, Noah Webster, published his American Dictionary of the English Language in 1828. By the way, that's 13 years before the word dinosaur was first used. This work defines the noun dragon under two separate headings. The second gives reference to dragons in Scripture as a large marine fish or serpent called Leviathan, a venomous land serpent, as in Psalm 91, and the devil who is called the old serpent in the New Testament. Webster's next heading for dragon has a single definition. A genus of animal, the Draco, they have four legs, a cylinder tail, and membranous uh, wings radiated like the fins of a flying fish. So here's, here's the question I have for you. Was Noah, did Noah Webster go down in history as a smart, intelligent individual? Did he go down in history as a reliable source? I mean, don't we all use his dictionary? And in his first dictionary, under dragon, he's writing of it like it's an animal that's alive, that's real, that's true. You say, well, how, does this prove dinosaurs? I can't prove dinosaurs to you, you know, unless we all just go spend a year in Loch Ness or something. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I can't prove dinosaurs to you, and I'm not trying to. They can't prove to you that they lived millions of years, and I can't prove to you that they lived recently. All I'm saying is this. If, anim- if dinosaurs lived alongside men, you think the Bible would talk about it, and it does. If, if dinosaurs lived alongside men, you'd think there'd be legends and myths and stories told about them in all cultures, at all times, in all continents, and it does. If, if dinosaurs lived along men, you'd think we could find some reliable, credible sources by the world standard, reliable and credible, that would give us not just stories and myths, but eyewitness accounts where they'll tell you, this is what I saw, and oh, by the way, they do. More than two, more than three which the Bible says is enough to establish a matter. But you know what? If dinosaurs lived alongside men, not only would we find scriptural evidence, not only would we find circumstantial evidence, not only would we find uh, testimonial evidence, but you know what we would also find? I bet you, if dinosaurs actually lived alongside men, we would also find physical evidence. Physical proof that could not be explained away about the fact that dinosaurs lived along men. So let me give you some examples. I'll read for you from a website called apologeticspress.org. They wrote this in approximately, approximately 1186, King Jaravarman VII undertook the building of Tafram, a stone monastery temple. The ruins of Tafram, which stand today in the overgrown jungles of Cambodia, were chosen by one of the major preservation societies to be left in its natural state as an example of how most of Angkor looked on its discovery in the 19th century. You say, what, what's so important about this temple? What's important about this temple is this, that there is a column on this temple where they have a design, these circles with animals cr- uh, uh, engraved into the stone on this temple. And it's, it's a column, and it has all sorts of animals that we know of today that are alive today. It's got like deer and horses and just things like that, just normal animals. But on that column, you also find this. And I know you can't see it, but you're welcome to come look at it after the service if you'd like. And that picture, for the longest time, no one ever, they thought that's just a made-up animal. No one's ever seen an animal like that. And then one day, they dug up a uh, a stegosaurus. And if you look at this thing, it looks like a stegosaurus. And here's all I'm saying. If no one ever seen that thing, 
Why would someone carve something that looks just like it? You say, oh, well, no, I think they messed up. They were trying to draw, I don't know, a bat. I, you, what do you mean? You know, it, it looks like a stegosaurus. You can't explain. I mean, if you put it next to a picture of a stegosaurus, that's what it looks like. And here's all I'm saying. If they're carving an ox and they're carving a rabbit and they're carving all these animals that they've seen and then they carve this in that same column, don't you think somebody saw something that looked like that? Here's all I'm saying. If, if dinosaurs walked with men, you think we'd find some physical evidence that can't just be, you know, dismissed that they were actually around when men were around. Let me read for you another one. On the underside of the third largest natural bridge in the world, called the the Ketchina Bridge, several petroglyphs and pictographs exist, which rock art experts believe to be anywhere from 500 to 1,500 years old. The carvings are believed to be the work of Anazi Indians who once lived in that area, in the area of southern, uh, southeastern Utah. A mountain goat, a human figure, multiple handprints, and many other carvings and drawings can be seen quite easily underneath the bridge on the sides of the span. The most fascinating piece of rock are at uh, Kachana Bridge, however, is the petroglyph of a dinosaur. This figure, which is carved into the rock, has a long, thick tail, a long neck, a wide midsection, and a small head. Any unbiased visitor to the Kachania Bridge would have to admit that this particular petroglyph looks like a dinosaur, specifically the Apathosaurus, or more probably known as uh, the Brontosaurus. And I've got a picture of that too. I know you can't see it, but if you'd like to come look at it. Here's a picture of what they, they drew. Now this picture was, the color was enhanced to help you to see it a little better. But next to this, you've got other animals that are just, you know, you've got a human, you've got animals that are alive today. And then they drew, and look, when you look at that, you think, it looks, looks like a dragon to me. Looks like a dinosaur to me. Now, the person that drew this didn't call it a dinosaur. But they drew it. You know why? Because they saw it. They, they, they saw it. And one day they decided, you know, these Anazi Indians decided they wanted to draw. And they drew a mountain goat and a human figure. They drew their handprint. And then they drew this thing. Why would they do that? Isn't that kind of physical evidence to the fact? If no human has ever seen it because these animals died off 63 million years ago, why would a human just imagine something? And by the way, they tell us, they tell us themselves, these are 500 to 1,500-year-old carvings. Dinosaurs were found in the 1800s. These Indians, according to their evolutionary theory, never saw that animal, yet they drew it. Let me read for you another one. On two occasions in the late 1800s, Dr. Samuel Hubbard, honorary curator of archaeology of the Oakland Museum, visited an area of the Grand Canyon known as the Havasupai Canyon. Hubbard observed many curious inspections of the canyon walls during these trips. On a particular rock wall in the Havapusai Canyon, just above the uh, group of Ibex inscriptions, is a carving of an elephant. The remains of the elephant are very common all over North America, from Alaska to Mexico. You may or may not know that, but all over North America, you've got pictures of elephants drawn on caves by these uh, people. Furthermore, by these uh, Indians that lived a thousand years ago, whatever. Furthermore, as noted earlier in our discussion of the natural bridge rock art, inscriptions that resemble elephants or mammoths are not unusual in the West. Undoubtedly, you know, undoubtedly, elephants once roamed North America. Consider, however, the implications of elephant and mammoth rock art. For the ancients to have drawn images, and they're using, I'm, using, I'm just reading their words. For the ancients to have drawn images of these native creatures with long trunks, it is reasonable to conclude that as with the ibex, Native Americans must have seen elephants, although ancient American elephants are in ibex rock art. Um, well, let, me, let me stop there for a second. Let me just say this. What they're saying is this. The fact that we find drawings of elephants all over North America, although elephants do not live in North America today, but the fact that these mammoths are drawn and these elephants are drawn proves the fact that they lived here at some point and the, these Indian people saw them, so they drew them. Now look, that's logical. Does that make sense? Now here's, they go on to say this. Although ancient American elephants and ibex rock are, is fascinating in and of itself, as is the American rhinoceros carved on a rock wall near Moab, Utah, what caught Hubbard's attention more than anything else at the Havasupai was a figure cut into a sandstone much more deeply than the elephant. Its height was 11.2 inches. 
had a neck approximately 5.1 inches in length and a tail right at 9.1 inches. Hubbard photographed the petroglyph. What kind of animal is it? What kind of animal had a long neck, long tail, wide body, and once roamed northern Arizona? Dr. Dr. Hubbard believed that he had found an ancient drawing of a dinosaur. And I've got a picture here of uh, what he found. And, you know, the King James translator, or not, the new King James translators or the NIV translators would look at that picture and say, well, it's obviously a hippopotamus. But I don't think so. It's got a long neck, a long tail, a big belly. Sounds like behemoth. The fact that some prehistoric man made a pictograph of a dinosaur on the walls of this canyon upsets completely all of our theories regarding the antiquity of man. The fact that the animal is upright and balanced on its tail would seem to indicate that the prehistoric artist must have seen it alive. Evidence that dinosaurs were in the vicinity, listen to this, evidence that the dinosaurs were in the vicinity is proved by the tracks, which were identified by Mr. Gilmore, a vertebrate vertebrate paleontologist and renowned dinosaur fossil hunter, as belonging to one of the carnivorous uh, dinosaurs. According to Hubbard, these tracks were in the painted desert, uh, not over 100 miles from the picture. So here's what he's saying. We know that a dinosaur looked like this roamed in that area, and then they find a drawing of one that a Native American did a thousand years ago. Once again, we have a carving of an animal that looks more like a dinosaur than any other animal, living or extinct. What's more, all of the evidence points to the carving being genuine. Finally, fossil footprints prove that dinosaurs once lived in the same general area of the dinosaur-like rock art. Yet again, we ask, how could man have drawn such an accurate picture of a creature he supposedly never had seen? And the answer to that question is, the Indians that drew these pictures did see them. Because dinosaurs lived alongside men, just like the Bible says. I'm out of time, but I've got articles here about the fact that they have found soft tissue on dinosaur bones. Go back to Job chapter 40, and you can look that up, or I can talk to you about it after the service if you'd like. They've actually found soft tissue in bones that they've dug up. Look, if they find soft tissue, what that tells you is it's not millions of years old. And, uh, and there's articles about that. You can, you can look at that if you, if you want. Say, so what's the point of the sermon? The point of the sermon is this. The Bible can be trusted. The word of God can be trusted. Now, are you trying to prove to us that dinosaurs live? I, I can't prove that to you. All, all I can tell you is if, if dinosaurs lived with man, the Bible would talk about it, and it does. If dinosaurs lived with man, there'd be stories about it, and there are. If dinosaurs lived with men, we could find eyewitness testimony account from reliable, credible sources, and we have. And if animals lived with men, we would find physical evidence that cannot be reputed, and we have. There are ancient Indians that drew mammoths and elephants, and we know those lived here in North America, and they also drew dinosaurs. We see them in Cambodia. And, there, and I'll just give you a few examples. There's tons of examples like this. Do your own research. Say, so, well, what can we learn? What can we learn from this? Are you there in Job 40? Look at verse 1. We'll, we'll be done here in five minutes. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? And he that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me, Wilt thou also disannul? The word disannul means to make void, cancel, or uh, uh, to, to, to invalidate my judgment. Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Is thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold, everyone that is proud and and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud, and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together, and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. Look at verse 19, just real quickly. He is chief of the ways of God. Talking about Behemoth. He that made him. He that made who? Behemoth. He that made him 
can make his sword to approach unto him. See, why did God give us Job chapter 40? He didn't, the purpose of Job 40 was not to prove that there are dinosaurs. That's a secondary thing we learned from the passage. What, what God is saying to Job is he's saying this. Look at Behemoth. Look at Leviathan. Can you whoop that animal? Because I can. Do you understand what he's saying? Look at verse 19. He is chief of the ways of God. He hath made him, he that made him, can ma- he that made him, that's God, can make his sword to approach unto him. He's saying, you can't beat him, you can't kill him, you can't go toe-to-toe with him, but I can. That's what God is saying. I can, because I created him. Go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 27, just real quickly. Isaiah chapter 27, or if you don't want to go there, just you can look at your bulletin. It's, in the, it's the verse in the bulletin. Isaiah 27 and verse 1. Isaiah 27 and verse 1, the Bible says this, In that day the Lord with a sword and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan. Remember he said, Leviathan, you can't fish him out. You can't, uh, uh, you, your sword can't harm him. You can't destroy him. But God says, I can in that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, the crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Go to the book of Revelation. Last one we'll look at this morning. We'll be done. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. I know we're going a little longer than we normally do, but just uh, look at this one and we'll be done. Revelation chapter 12. It's funny because Leviathan was a real animal that lived on earth, but Leviathan is often used as a representation of none other than Satan. Revelation 12.9 says this. Revelation 12.9 says this. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Here's what God is saying. If I created such a great animal and I can destroy such a great animal, who are you? To argue with me. And look, you know what? As, as Bible-believing Christians, you say, well, I, I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible talks about a creature named Leviathan. I believe the Bible talks about a creature named Behemoth. I believe the Bible uh, testifies to the fact that animals walked with men and that dragons really did exist and they breathed fire. I believe that. Then look, if you believe it about that, why don't you believe it about the way you dress? Or the way you raise your children? Or the way you have your marriage? Or the way you do your finances. Or what you do with your time. Or how you steward the talents that God has given you. Here's what God is saying. If I can control Leviathan, then you should quit trying to disannul my judgments. You should just step in line. If Leviathan respects me, if Behemoth respects me, if they do what I tell them to do, you should too. That's what he's telling Job. And that's what he's telling us. So if this is true, if all this is true, then just step in line and say, God, you're in charge. I can't beat up that thing, but if you can, yes, sir. I can't beat up that thing, but if you can, I can't beat up Satan. But if you can, you're in charge. I'll do what you tell me to do. Let's bow our heads and have a word.